Hi there, I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of Live Healthy, and this is the Live Healthy podcast. Each week we interview health and wellness leaders and talk about all the things that are good for you, which you can also read about in our online magazine, the only one of its kind for men and women in the UAE. Hi there, I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of Live Healthy and host of the Live Healthy podcast. Today I'm speaking to Chris Layton, co-founder of the disruptive Dubai startup Arizones. Arizones is the world's first independent indoor air quality rating standard. Chris came to my attention when he delivered a speech at Expo 2020 recently about how we can co-create the future and accelerate the United Nations sustainable development goals. I was blown away by some of the things he said about indoor air quality and how big of a problem this is and how much it is hurting us. Wait till you get a load of what he says about some of the things we use all the time. So I wanted to speak to him not to scare anyone, but to get some solutions. I hope you enjoy our interview. Okay, I'm sure you hear this all the time, but air quality has been a huge discussion in the 13 years I've lived in Abu Dhabi. And it's one of those things that's just in the back of your mind, but you just don't know what to do about it. (laughs) Do you hear this from a lot of people? Absolutely, absolutely, including ourselves, which is how we started up on this journey, actually. I think uh, we've been living and working in the prop tech space and the uh, environmentally friendly building space across Europe and then moving out here. I was discussing with some friends about where we should go for a a bite to eat. And no one was aware of the impact of air quality of different venues, of different spaces to go. We can look at the likes of Trustpilot and TripAdvisor that will give you a rating for the friendliness of the waiting staff, the number of languages they speak, the cleanliness, the quality of the food. There's no rating at all or no measure impacting the air quality. And that really led us to think about, well, why? There's, I know from the work we've done around here, there's certain places I would not want to take my children for a meal or for a hotel stay or certainly to the certain specific schools. And so why don't we communicate that in a way that the wider public can understand and thus um, make informed decisions about where they spend time? Why do you think that this is something... I mean, we'll get into the stats later, but this is not just something. This is everything. This should be, it seems, when you look at the stats, this should be the only thing we're talking about, the first thing we're talking about. Why do you think? I love it. Why yes, do you, it definitely should. Why do, you think it's, why do you think it's something we're like, to me, it's like air pollution, climate change. It's just like it's an all-encompassing phrase that's tiring. But why do you think people don't pay enough attention to it? I think it's something that is intangible in many ways. It's invisible. It's invisible in terms of what it is. The effects of it are generally long-term, although once you start to understand more of it, you start to realize actually slight changes in air quality can lead to headaches fairly quickly. They can significantly influence your mood. If you think about like the the casino effect, let's pump them full of oxygen. Whoa, yeah, brilliant, everyone's pumped. Versus like the sauna effect. It's like, well, it's the air that's making the difference. The air is a different temperature, it's a different composition. And that impacts our mood straight away. But basically, it's intangible. I think that's the key reason. And it's also quite complicated when you get into it. 
At the end of the day, it's atmospheric chemistry combined with human biology, which intimidates a lot of people. And it can be a blah, 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 blah. let's ignore this. But back to your point at the beginning, it, it, is, it is everything. It is fundamentally everything. I, gave a, I was fortunate enough to be invited to an event at Expo just the other week where we were looking at the United Nations SDGs. So the sustainable development goals about everything that we can address from gender equality to food scarcity to water to overall health and well-being. And I'm slightly biased, but air impacts us more than the rest of them put together. If you think about the impact that food has on us. So typically we eat two to three times a day. The food we eat takes roughly 45 to 60 minutes for our body to ingest that and for it to make an impact on us. And we obsess that the vegan movement that the world has gone through has been one of the biggest dietary shifts in recorded history because of the impact it has on us and our concern about eating too many calories, eating right, eating this and eating that. If we then compare that with drinking, so we drink roughly two to three liters of fluids a day. So when we drink, it takes around about 15 to 20 minutes for our body to ingest that. And we can actually go for several days without drinking, such as the buildup inside us and how our body has evolved over time. Yet we breathe 22,000 times every single day. That's over 11,000 liters, or just rough maths, 10,997,000 more liters than what we drink yet we ignore it. And what we breathe, when we're talking about 45 minutes for what we eat, roughly 20 minutes for what we drink, seconds from what passes our lips is in blood vessels in our brain, in our heart, in our lungs, in our reproductive systems, all over our body. And we're doing that 22,000 times a day and mainly ignoring it. It's absolutely crazy, isn't it? Another thing I think is crazy is there's, a whole movement about breath work, about breathing through your nose, about taping your mouth closed when you sleep. And it, it makes me laugh when you're talking about this, because what does it matter how you're doing it if what you're taking is, <laughs> is not good for you? Okay, Absolutely. So <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, looking at that, uh, we're working, um, working with a number of gyms who can come into this later if time gives us, but looking at the health impacts of people working out. What by working out, by increasing what we term our fitness, we're actually increasing the efficiency with which our lungs take, take out the air and put that into the blood, pump that blood around our body and feed our muscles and our organs, everything else. So we become more efficient at taking in whatever is passing our lips. So actually, if we're taking in poisonous toxins, we're more efficient at transmitting those poisonous toxins around our body, the fitter we are. So back to your point, it's like, well, great, let's tape up my mouth. I'll, I'll put a mask on. I'll do some altitude climbing. I'll, I'll go totally crazy. So my body is optimized to transmit what we would like to be oxygen and nutrients to our, to our organs, but actually can often be toxins and pollutants. It's crazy. Okay. So can everyone thinks about outdoor air quality. So can you just touch on that a little bit for us before we get inside? Absolutely. I mean, bringing this back to the United Nations goals as well. We're talking about air pollution. The general perception is, oh, that's a government topic. What is air pollution? The first thing that comes to mind in the majority of people is, oh, it's busy roads, it's traffic. We associate cars with air pollution. And then power generation, the old chimneys that we see, the big stacks or heavy industry 
oh, that's all dirty pollution. That'll kill us. I'm going to go home and lock my doors and keep myself safe away from all of that and, and wait for the governments and heavy industry to sort that out. So, I mean, we do a great job of polluting the environment around us. The majority of the big pollution comes from outdoors, as we went through the, the symbols, that, those, those examples. And we do need to get better at that. The pollution is somewhat linked to what we would say is climate change, although it's quite different. Climate change comes primarily from carbon, so carbon dioxide, a greenhouse gas. So that is what's ultimately responsible for warming up the planet around us and leading to melting ice caps and ocean rises, etc., etc. However, carbon dioxide is not toxic when we breathe it. I mean, it, certainly, if we increase it to levels that it means we're smothering out oxygen, it would be an issue. But in general day-to-day -day life, the human body ourselves breathe in oxygen and convert it to carbon dioxide and breathe it out. It's one of the most common gases around us in terms of what we're breathing every day. But the pollution are the toxins that we breathe in and attack us. So they harm our body. So the likes of nitrogen dioxide, ground-level ozone, carbon monoxide being one that most people might be aware of, associated with burning gas stoves at home. So those sorts of gases that get into us and actually cause us immediate harm. So primarily we thought of those as being outside, but the American EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, have done a lot of work and research into this. And they found that the air indoors is generally more polluted than the air outdoors. So if you think about that for a minute, it's like, well, we see this as being an outdoor topic. It's pollution, it's out there, it's dirty roads, it's something the government and industry sort out. Well, how can the air in our home, homes, in our schools, in our offices, in the hotels, gyms, everywhere we go, be generally more polluted than outdoors if the sources remain outdoors? It doesn't make sense. So then I think the space that we're in indoors, I mean, the office I'm in at the moment, the air I'm breathing, comes from outdoors. There's no magic filter. It's no magical space just providing indoor air. So the air inside generally comes from outside. Admittedly, it might pass through some series of filters through the air conditioning, but then it comes into our space and we obsess about adding more and more pollution to it. If you look around where you are now, look at everything that you wouldn't find in nature, the man-made chemicals, the walls, Right, so they've got a plaster on, they've generally got a paint on it. It's a man-made chemical in the majority of cases. The soft furnishings, man-made chemicals. Certainly the chemicals we bring into it, burning candles, burning incense sticks, cleaning surfaces, all the cleaning products, the bed linen, the application of our own cosmetics, what we call hygiene. Oh, no, no, I wouldn't want sweat. It might smell. So I'll use some toxic chemicals to prevent myself from sweating and smelling bad. We fill our indoor spaces with more and more chemicals. And this has been something that's really been highlighted through the COVID scenario, the COVID situation, because we have obsessed even more with cleaning, which actually has led to a detrimental effect of us polluting the indoor air quality even further. Well, and we've also obsessed with, I mean, what did you think when everyone was staying indoors during COVID? We've... <laughs> well, Absolutely, we're... yeah. Closing the doors and windows and sealing ourselves in. Yeah. Oh, we don't want any bad germs to get in. Yeah. But I mean, the, the two sides from that, the, the big learnings there, are 99, over 99% of COVID transmission occurs indoors now, and the majority of that is airborne. I think we all know we don't want to be around people now when they're coughing and sneezing or shouting loudly, or even singing. We banned singing for a while because that uh, transmitted COVID. 
what we don't see is people going around uh, licking door handles and surfaces and touching things without sterilizing our hands 15 times now. Mm-hmm. Although there has been relatively low amount of surface transmission. But if you correlate the amount of transmission of COVID from surfaces with the amount of time we've spent cleaning various things, it's insane. We spent very little time cleaning the air and looking at air quality, which is the majority of the transmission. And we spend most of our time now cleaning surfaces. And again, there's some amazing research into this, that the hospitality industry have increased their spend on cleaning products from between 40 to 50% on before coronavirus was uh, born. The main reason being, we clean everything. If, If you sit and look in a restaurant or a hotel or even in the schools, someone comes along every time someone moves, sprays everything, spray it, spray it, spray it, and wipe it down. If you look at the list of ingredients of what we're using to clean surfaces, that is stuff there's no way we would drink. If our child picked something up like that and took a mouthful, we'd rush them to hospital. Be like, oh, no, this is terrible. What is it? It's that bad. I mean, it's, it's products that are designed to kill living organisms, be it bacteria or be it germs or viruses. So we would never drink it, but we spray it all over everything. You spray it all over surfaces. The surfaces are soaking wet. 30 seconds later, they're bone dry. Why? Some magical action has occurred. Why? That product has vaporized. It's airborne. These toxic chemicals we wouldn't drink. There was sterilizing surfaces that we don't go around licking and scraping all the time anyway. So there's negligible reason for sterilizing them. And then we're breathing that into our lungs. And back to the beginning where we said what we breathe impacts us more than what we drink and eat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's insane. So what sort of when you go in testing in people's homes, what, what are you finding? I mean, the, the main thing to start with has been a complete sort of lack of understanding about what impacts air quality. So there's, there's been a couple of, I suppose, myths that we've found. One, number one myth, everyone over here believes the air is terrible. It's like, oh, we're in Dubai, yeah, the air quality over here is terrible. Actually, one of the things we've seen is the air quality over here, indoor air quality, has actually been better than our own testing that we did around European cities. So this is a very small sample. It's our own work, but it's just something straight away that stood out. So we've not analysed 50,000 homes. We've not done it with the the utmost scientific of processes. But certainly from the work we did around London and around some Italian and Spanish cities, we saw a greater level of toxic pollutants indoor than we have done in Dubai, which, again, when we think about it, we can start to understand the mechanisms at play here and why. So European cities have built up over centuries. They've slowly added over time, and they're they're a bit like a a rabbit warren, a little maze inside. I mean, if you wander around London, there's little streets everywhere here, there and everywhere going off. And then we put a huge amount of traffic right in the middle of that, Most, most of it stationary traffic which is a source of a lot of toxins. So this comes out and we get pockets of trapped air or trapped pollutants. And then we generally have a lower quality um, air management systems in these older buildings. So you see people in London, when it starts to get hot, open the windows. It's still a common application. It's certainly in the residential areas in homes. Open the windows and let that air in. Now, if we contrast that to what we see in Dubai, Dubai is actually a very long, thin city built up with a huge amount of nature on each side. So on one side, we've got sea. On the other side, we've got desert. So we see 
a better airflow around here anyway than we see in those central European cities. And then we combine that with the fact that we've got quite a young city here. So the, the heating and ventilation systems are relatively new and relatively recent. And like you say, looking around London, the majority of homes don't have any air management system within them, any air conditioning. We just get hot and put a fan on when it gets too warm. Whereas here, the buildings have air systems built into them. So a sort of combination of the two. And what we're seeing actually is air quality over here that it has been notably higher than what we saw in the European cities in our own studies. Well, that's wonderful. So that was the, it's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. <laughs> well, like, but, um, you don't know. You think you know. I'm always amazed doing these absolutely. interviews of the things I think I know that have nothing to do with reality. Can you talk a little bit about um, just the measurements and the microfine particles that we're taking in, how they're measured and, and sort of, um, you mentioned they penetrate every single organ in our body, but how do you rate them? How do you measure them? Absolutely. Well, that's, that's why we founded Air Zones, really, to find a way of communicating this. Because the other side we've seen, as we touched on at the beginning, there's a, a huge amount of sort of naivety around this as a topic and a belief in where it comes from, what it is, and a lack of understanding of how we can address it. Yet there are such simple steps we can take that can lead to real improvement in air quality. So the first bit, we ran through the, the differentiation of what we would call the toxic pollutants. So these, the, the pollution that is toxic to you, has recommended limit levels or exposure levels. So a level that is recommended not to go past in terms of how much we breathe in of that as humans. So that is suggested by the WHO, the World Health Organization. And they make suggested limit levels for what they deem to be the toxins. So comparing it to temperature is an example. Temperature is often measured in buildings because it has an impact on comfort and energy use. Yet within reasonable limits, temperature is not going to kill the average human. Obviously, if we start boiling ourselves, then that becomes an issue. But the difference between 17 degrees C and 23 degrees C is not going to have a massive impact on the human well-being. Whereas if we look at the pollutants, so the likes of the respirable dust, the nitrogen dioxide, etc., when we get to a certain concentration, that can ultimately lead to serious health issues in humans. And carbon monoxide is one of the gases we spoke about. It doesn't take long for that to come to a critical level where actually humans can pass out and suffocate from that. So that can actually kill people fairly quickly. So those that are classed as toxic have suggested recommended limit levels, according to the WHO, the World Health Organization. They're then passed on to the individual states. So over here, we have Dubai Municipality Government. They take those limit levels and enforce their own limits for those. So each country has its own interpretation of those. The big ones being the Americans, the US Environmental Protection Agency, and then we have the EU. And then we have over here, the Dubai Municipality that has the limit levels for these toxic pollutants. And those are the ones that we as air zones decided to study and communicate because we have the comfort levels, like we say, the temperature, humidity, carbon dioxide to a degree, and then the toxins. So we measure those toxins using a very simple little plug-in sensors. So we take the latest sensor technology, install those into a building, be it a household or an office or a school or um, any particular workplace, gym, hotel, wherever you may think, indoor uh, space. Install these monitors, 
They will monitor the concentration of these pollutants over a period of one month as well. So for a household, we'll do a snort a snapshot, but we will aggregate that data over one month because that data changes so much. The concentration will change when we walk into a room, when we open a window, when we open a door, certainly when we're cooking, when we're washing, when we're using our cosmetic products, et cetera, et cetera. So we measure it over a period of time and then compare that to the WHO and the Dubai Municipality limit levels. And if it's below, we communicate that in a way that is simple through a, a star rating. We were looking at ways to take this complex topic and make it really simple. And the simplest we found was the, the star rating. It's a, a small child understands that four star beats two star. So let's take that and convert it into that star rating in a way that everyone can understand. So take that data, compute that into the star rating, and then according to what the pollutant is, we then work backwards to try and reduce that at source. So this is akin to sort of conventional medicine or the approach taken by the, the medical profession. The old adage you might have heard, prevention is better than cure. If we looked at just putting in air filtration systems or air purifiers, it's tantamount to getting a headache or pulling a muscle while you're out running and taking paracetamol. It's like, right, so we've got a problem. Let's guess at what it is. Let's self-diagnose and take something to try and resolve that. What we're trying to do is, well, let's go to the doctor in the first place and diagnose the issues. Because actually, an air purifier, in the conventional terms that we use, will not address all problems. So if you've got a problem with, say, high levels of nitrogen dioxide, sticking a conventional air purifier on the desk is not going to solve that. So we go back, diagnose the sources. Where's that coming from? And then eliminate its source. So this remove the pollutant at the source and remove the need to then add the remedial uh, solutions to that. Isn't that incredibly difficult though? I mean, I'm thinking my work in my office, what if I hire you and you tell me what's happening? How do I get that changed? Like, how do I do anything about that? I don't own- That, that comes down to what it is that we see through the uh, air analysis. So one of the obvious ones being looking at a high level of airborne chemicals that we might see. So again, Going back to the conventional air purifier as we see it, if we see that as a mechanical filter, there's an actual, imagine a sieve in there. So I liken this to, imagine boiling a bowl of rice, water, water and rice boiling in a pan. You tip that through a sieve or through a colander. That colander removes the physical objects in there, the rice. So that is the same as removing dust from the air. So in that case, we would look at the source of the dust. Is it coming in through your ductwork? Is it something you're doing inside that is creating that dust? And can we eliminate that? But the purifier will help remove dust from the air. If, however, going back to the rice and the water analogy, the water is poisonous, so you've got a gas in that, it's heavily chlorinated water, tipping it through that sieve, you're going to have water underneath. You've taken the rice out, the water is still poisonous. That's the same for the airborne uh, gases in the air, so nitrogen dioxide or volatile organic compounds, the VOCs, the man-made chemicals we see in there, they will just pass through the filter. So the air is polluted on the other side as much as it was to start with. It's not impacting the, the problem. So if we're looking at a high level of chemicals in the air, we can then work backwards to see what is the source of those chemicals. What are you using? And we can see when the events are occurring as well. 
Okay. So, for example, we worked with a um, a chain of coffee shops, cafes. And we're looking every Thursday around eight o'clock in the morning, we were getting huge spikes of nitrogen dioxide. So, so knowing this data, we can work backwards to work, well, what's the event that happens there? Because that killed the air quality for the whole day in that venue. Such were the spikes and then the way the air is recirculated. Well, actually, that's when we get our delivery. Okay, so let's go through that. What happens at this time? Well, we get a delivery truck. It reverses up to the venue, right? Okay, so where's the exhaust sticking on the delivery truck? Right out the back. Where's the back of the truck? Right into the restaurant. So for an hour while we're delivering, we're pumping the exhaust gases of a vehicle into the venue. And then that is being recirculated. So can we change that? I know people want to walk the least amount, carrying stuff off the truck into the place. But what about if we park the truck sideways and carry it in? It's two extra steps for the people but the emissions are coming out. Or we could go really crazy and turn the engine off while the vehicle is stationary. And by doing that, we reduced the pollution level below the threshold for that particular venue. Wow. So wow. again, it's, it's understanding the sources. And in both those incidences, putting an air purifier, as we call it, I, I say conventional because there are many high-tech purifiers around now that are starting to do some really cool stuff. But a conventional desktop purifier is received with a filter inside it would not impact any of those topics around air quality. Okay. So the root cause. What about in uh, what about in private homes or offices? What sort of what sort of things do you see? Oh, I, I don't want to make some enemies on this because uh, there's a few things that people really like. But one of the common things we've seen is humans' obsession with burning things inside. It's amazing when you start to look into this, how much we burn. Okay. So burning things has, um, has many problems, um, potential threat to human life by burning buildings down is the main obvious one. But in terms of what we're taking, so taking a, a candle, for example, and again, I, I don't want to fall out with the people who love the candles. So just, I will say conventional. We're looking at a, a chunk of effectively paraffin wax in the majority of cases. So hydrocarbons. We dig this stuff out the soil. We then mix it with man-made chemicals to get nice fragrances that we like. Maybe some colors. Again, look at these things. Do we find these in nature? So we wouldn't eat this. You wouldn't get a spoon and start gouging out the candle and eat it because it's not good for us. So we set fire to it. A couple of weeks later, the jar is empty. It's gone. It's like spraying the surfaces with stuff. I can see it. Uh, I wouldn't eat it. I wouldn't drink it. So where's it gone? Well, let me tell you, you've been breathing it. That stuff that you don't want to eat or you don't want to drink, you're actually breathing it. So by burning it, we're vaporizing it. So we're putting it into the air, which means we are breathing it. So that's the number one problem. The second problem with these is the amount of energy in the flame. So wherever we start burning things, we don't only get the primary reaction, but we start that, a catalytic reaction to produce other toxins. So for example, many people might have heard of formaldehyde, a, a toxic carcinogen, well, clusters carcinogenic, but a volatile organic compound, a VOC, a man-made chemical. So many products have removed that now. We cannot see that on the list of ingredients. However, when we put certain fragrances into a combustion scenario, so next to a candle, we start burning them, the reaction there actually can produce formaldehyde. So we look at the list of ingredients of things we want. Oh, no, no, this has got none of the really, really bad stuff in. I'll set fire to it. Ooh, 
oh no, I'm producing stuff that I wasn't even aware I'm producing. So we're capturing that in the air that enables us then through the senses to work backwards to, well, what is it you do around about six o'clock every day? Apart from crack open a nice, relaxing, cool drink to chill you, you start burning things. It's like, whoa, let's stop the burning for one week and see what happens. Holy smoke. We've instantly reduced two or three of the main pollutants significantly just by making those simple changes. And it's not all bad. There are ways that we can fragrance the air around us. We're naturally occurring oils, natural fragrances that we see are loads better than the man-made chemicals. And again, if we can use a diffuser where there's natural evaporation rather than setting fire to things, it has a huge impact on us. What about candles that don't have those? You know, there's a lot of healthy candles out there. Is it still an issue for you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, now we're stirring the hornet's nest, aren't we? Um, I think the simple, I wouldn't put them in my own home. Um, it's, It's down to everyone's individual choice. It's back to, would you eat it? Would you drink it? Okay, so why breathe it? Okay. Um, so that comes down into individuals. And I, I know I'm partially in jest, sort of swerving the, the bat as well. But one of the one of the cornerstones of air zones and our belief is we don't want to go out and lock horns with everyone and start pointing out all, all the, the bad boys as such. We, we really want to come at this from a positive angle. Because back to the point at the beginning, the biggest threat we have here to the success of people starting to embrace air, but also the success of the entire United Nations SDGs and the success ultimately of global warming and our own survival, if we don't want to dramatize it, is people buying into this and starting to make the changes. If we see air pollution as a topic out there and we leave it to governments to sort out and heavy industry, we'll be sat here in in decades still suffering because we're still doing the same thing. If we all wake up and take on our own changes, if we get to the point, no, no, I can't live without my candles, I can't do that, la, 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 I'm turned off. It's a government topic, we we lose the momentum. Whereas if we all take slight changes, as you suggested there, move to more environmentally friendly, the closer we move to nature, the more along the line from the toxic man-made chemicals to the environmentally friendly, to the green, to the things that we find in nature, the healthier we are. At the end of the day, we've been polluting our own planet for billions of years, yet the planet's done fairly well at keeping us alive and sustaining relatively fresh and healthy air out there. Nature has an amazing way of reversing a lot of the damage we're doing if we can give it chance. So if we each embrace those and make those small changes to move away from heavy industry, the man-made chemicals in our own homes, we can start to see real tangible benefits. Okay, so... You, it, air quality, you said in your speech is two indoor, two to five times worse than more harmful than outdoors. It's, it's two to yes. five times more polluted than outdoors. And there's a whole bunch of ways that we can feel in the short term. Can you just go through some of those and then just talk about like the bigger, the bigger, I mean, all of those short term ways we're not feeling well also feed into all of the big health problems that we see in the world. Can you just give us like a brief capture of that? Absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, looking at it big numbers wise, the United Nations and the WHO currently cite air pollution as being responsible for over 7 million deaths a year. So the greatest environmental threat to humanity. If we contrast that with the way the world's adapted because of coronavirus, in the same time period we've been living with coronavirus, 
which unfortunately has been responsible for over 5 million deaths so far. The equivalent of death, the equivalent number of lives lost due to the air that we're breathing is over 16 million. Yet you think of the changes we've taken because of coronavirus and how that's impacted our lives and everything we do. What changes have we taken, firstly, to avoid our own exposure to air pollution? It's generally not a lot, really. Maybe we think about, well, I shouldn't stand as near to a car or I should try to stay away from that dirty looking bus. But it's relatively minor compared to what we've done to avoid coronavirus. The second is what have we done to reduce our own pollution footprint? So how many times have we thought, no, actually, I'm responsible for my own pollution footprint in the same way that we started to come up with the idea of a, a carbon footprint? So if I buy this chest of drawers from a certain product, a certain furniture supplier, someone's gone and chopped a tree down and put it through a factory and shipped it around the world, and there's a certain amount of carbon dioxide produced. But there's also a certain amount of pollution that has been produced. And then in use, when we brought it into our home, can we reduce the burden on our own bodies? So again, looking through, certainly from a household perspective, it's, I think the, the nicest, simplest way of doing that is just run through your daily routine. So we all wake up, jump out of bed in the morning, don't need coffee, fully revitalized and excited about the day ahead. However the day starts, we, we pull ourselves out of bed and get on with the day ahead. So it's then looking through, right, let's time map our day. What are all the things that we touch? So we wake up in our bedroom, look around there. So, well, what's the paint on the walls? What's hanging up at the windows? How much plastic have we got in that space? How many man-made chemicals are in our bedroom if we go through that and think about it now? Which on a side note, actually, there was an, also a, a study into um, pollution in homes, indoors, that cited children's bedrooms as actually being one of the most polluted rooms in the home which again is absolutely ridiculous because we're polluting the very places we want to avoid pollution. So both the UN and the WHO talk about protecting the vulnerable. So they are people going through pregnancy, so early, child, early childhood, so developing children, lungs, developing lungs, developing a brain, developing cardio, et cetera. And then the people who are already struggling, fighting illness, so the sick and the needy, and then through into the elderly. We need to protect those the most. Okay. So if we think about the children's bedroom being the most polluted, it's absolutely crazy again. But the reasons why, if you look at the amount of bright colours, the amount of man-made materials, the amount of man-made plastics in any room in the house, and then go into a child's bedroom, the amount of electronics that are causing reactions themselves, the colors. So all that that we don't find in nature pollutes the home. So, so back to us, we're waking up in our bedrooms, we're looking around, we're looking at the colors we have on the walls, the paints, the coatings, the furnishings, varnishes, the soft furnishings, the amount of dust that's produced from the rugs that we have on the floor or the way that we handle stuff, what we have hanging up at the windows. And then we go into the bathrooms and things get really crazy. And you start looking at the list of ingredients on the chemicals that we have in the bathrooms, what we wash ourselves, certainly what we spray. So I'll, I'll tell a little story in each of the rooms we go through, looking in the, the bathrooms. And this was a crazy experiment we did at home. So again, not backed in massive amounts of science. And now we are looking into this, such as the interest. And we've been approached by a, a global manufacturer of deodorants based on this. 
but we put a multitude of sensors around the home. So from the, the bathroom into the bedroom, it was ensuite, into then the lounge area in the kitchen. And sprayed deodorant, aerosol deodorant. Within seconds, the sensor in the room where we were using it had gone up to 10 times the WHO recommended limit levels, not only for toxic chemicals, but also for airborne dust. So the amount of dust coming out of that. Within minutes, the sensors in the other rooms had gone as well. And it took over one hour for the limit levels to return down. In one of the rooms we were in, it took upwards of three hours before the air quality returned to what were deemed to be healthy levels, according to the World Health Organization. So that's the toxic chemicals coming out of that spray. The next is the dust. So we worry about dust. A lot of people here say, oh, the, the sand, it's in my eyes, it's in my nose, it's so dusty around here. That's relatively large dust when you feel it in your eyes or in your nose, and that's your body's own protection, stopping that. Your eyelashes are there to stop the dust getting into your eye. The, the hairs in your nose are to stop that dust getting through and into your lungs. What we're talking about is ultra-fine respirable dust. So fine, it goes through your body's defenses. In fact, so fine, it passes through the walls of your lungs and into your blood where it is pumped around your body. So the, the technical term is particulate matter, PM 2.5 in particular might be one that you've heard of. So PM 2.5, respirable dust, gets into our organs. And back to that point, it can be seen in blood vessels in our brain. This deodorant, the dust that we're seeing is a man-made chemical designed to stop our pores breathing. It's antiperspirant. And we're breathing it into the very place in our body designed to breathe, to transfer. Our lungs are there to transfer oxygen from the air we breathe in into our blood that goes around and fuels our body. And instead, we're breathing in man-made chemicals designed to block pores. This is why? <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> So a simple change. Now, just thinking about the dust and the chemicals here as the two major pollutants. A roll-on deodorant, look at the list of ingredients, more or less identical on both of them. You wouldn't want to drink the roll-on deodorant, but the way we put it on, we put it right close to the point of application and roll it on. So using a roll-on deodorant, we don't have the propellant, which is a nasty gas is one thing, but it still has a lot of chemicals in we wouldn't want to drink. We didn't trigger any of the monitors. So the air quality remains at what we deemed as the safe levels, according again by the WHO in the UN, using that product. We didn't see the dust either. So just a simple change in our daily routine in the bathroom there has a massive impact on the air quality. And then depending upon how long we stay in that space, does someone, do, do the children come in and have a shower after that and they're breathing in these products? It's, it's profound when we start going through this. Then you move into the breakfast room and we start cooking or burning toast, cooking things. I mean, extractor hoods on cookers. There's a, there's a reason for them. How many people actually use them? And certainly over here, how many of them actually extract rather than it's just a fan with something that could possibly just be called toilet paper stuck on top of it? And it just moves the air through that to remove some of the airborne grease and fat that we see rather than actually extracting at the point of combustion. Okay. So looking at how we cook, how we use things, but also how we move around. So if we then go to cooking, open the window a bit, make sure that we're bringing in some fresh air and we're circulating stuff. 
simple things rather than allowing these toxins to build up. And then we go through the days. So, I mean, I've got to mention it because uh, behind you is a uh, rather large looking plant. <laughs> so the, again, the, the amount of nature that we bring into the space. Um, I'll give you a chance to speak in a minute. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm curious about, because I'm a plant lady and that's just one of many, 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 but it makes me feel better. It make, it may, I swear it makes me feel better. People think I'm crazy. Is it making me feel better? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's the, the psychological impact of nature. So, I mean, it's why so many people over here like to go camping. It's that feeling of getting away from the built environment and, and back to nature. That's, that's innate in all of us. So it's seeing it. But is it actually changing the air? Is it actually doing yes. anything? Okay. So one of the, the leading researchers into plants actually is uh, NASA. So NASA have done quite a lot of research into this historically way back in the 70s. They started looking at this because one of the challenges with space travel is depletion of oxygen. Back to the point of we worry about food and drink. Well, actually, we can go for quite a long time without food and drink. We can't go for longer than a couple of minutes if we haven't got good, clean air to breathe. So they looked into that. And the types of plants that we bring into a space can have a significant impact on air quality. So certain plants are very good at breaking down certain pollutants um, and freshening the air. Some of them good at capturing dust. Other plants are, are just pretty, they sit there and can actually, through the night, reverse the process and produce carbon dioxide, which you, you may remember some of the old wives' tales of don't fill your bedroom with plants. Yes. So some of them can actually reverse that and emit carbon dioxide through the night. But again, the main thing with plants, it, it's back to natural cleaning products, natural candles, natural cosmetics, etc. is let's try and move more to nature and get rid of some of the plastic plants. So the plastic plants, you're looking again for that visual stimulation. Oh, I feel happy. I'm in nature. It looks nice. But you're missing out on the health benefits. But you're also back to the children's bedroom topic. You're bringing in more man-made chemicals into the built environment. I challenge you when you look out looking, go around some of the malls, the hotels, the restaurants, look at plastic plants and see, hey, when have you ever seen one that's not got a nice accumulation of dust on it? Mm -hmm. That if someone walks by or you get a breeze, that dust becomes airborne again. But B, when is it actually doing anything helpful? So you get a lot of dust on them. And particularly if they're near windows and UV light, they can reduce, they can produce more toxins themselves. So yeah, get rid of the plastic plants and bring uh, bring a bit of nature back into your life. It'll do you the world of good. And I mean, this is so serious because you mentioned the rate of deaths compared to COVID, which is just shocking and probably was made worse by a lot of the measures we took for COVID, all the cleaning products, all of that stuff. But I mean, we're talking about cardiovascular disease, um, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, respiratory infections, asthma, lung function, lung cancer, uh, dementia, cognitive impairment, attention levels. This is all from your, your speech. Newborn deaths as well as preterm births and low birth weights, uh, fertility rates, fetal development, child cognitive development, child academic success, and our overall life expectancy. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking it's, that we don't think about this every minute. It's crazy. And I take you back to your opening line. It, it is everything. Mm -hmm. Back to the, the biology involved without getting too technical. We breathe in either really nice oxygen molecules or toxins or whatever, respirable dust. It passes our lips, goes down into our lungs, through the lung wall into our blood. So it is touching everywhere internally that our blood is going, which is everywhere. 
And there's more and more research being done into this recently. So just following, like we're following the day in the life, just following the human life cycle. So there's more and more research being done now into fertility and the impact of air quality, which again is a topic that not a lot of people talk about. So there's been some research conducted by a, a number of um, large organizations in different places, ranging from China to Europe to the US, now with relatively strong correlations between airborne pollution and fertility rates, but also the rate of miscarriage, which again, it's not surprising when you stop and think about this. Those toxins are passing our lung, passing our lips into our lungs. They are, there's not something magic in the umbilical cord that stops any pollution being transmitted into the womb down there. So some research in, um, there's an extensive study done in China looking at 18,000 couples and the respirable dust we saw. So where they saw slight increases in the amount of respirable dust, PM 2.5, they saw a 20% increase in infertility. So with infertility representing a failure to become pregnant, which is crazy when you think 20%. We think I know uh, a lot of people in this space, and some of the changes that people we, well, we all start uh, we did ourselves we start making when we start looking at getting pregnant. So we need to think of what's the temperature of the bath? What am I eating? Should I get some supplements? Should I change where I'm going? What I'm doing? How much exercise I do? It's like and going back ourselves, we never even considers the air we're breathing. Yeah. Yeah. There, was a, there was another one done by the University of Utah into specifically nitrogen dioxide. And they found a, a decrease of uh, one standard deviation, which not very much at all from the ambient levels that we'd see outside, correlated with an increased risk of losing a pregnancy by 16%. So it's not a, well, it, it, there's a 0.5% chance or one person once said, these are large numbers now. So large studies being conducted with a big impact on the success factor of these particular areas. Mm-hmm. And generally, we're ignoring it. So one of the things I said, we, we don't get involved in outdoor air quality, but of course, we track it, we monitor it. We have wearable monitors, which are, are really cool. We've, we've monitored and tracked around Dubai quite a few times. Differences far less than are being cited in these studies just by changing the way that we go and the establishments that we visit, the way we spend time. Mm-hmm. And as I say, my, primarily we're ignoring it. I, I have yet to find anyone who's gone out and said, well, I'm going to look into this in detail because we're trying to get pregnant or we're working in that area. It's, it's generally overlooked. Again, back to your statement at the beginning, it is everything, yeah. but it's also nothing because we're not really thinking about it. Well, I am now thinking about it. So I can't thank you enough. Arizona's the Dubai-based startup that is disrupting everything about the air. Um, change your life, change your business, change your home. You're basically the you're the place to go to do that. So uh, thank you so much for. We hope so. Yes. No. Thank you. I mean, we founded this, like say, as um, young families ourselves, as friends, but also as athletes who were interested in this, and we found it in a way to try and communicate it. Air quality can be amazingly complex. The biological effects can be amazingly complex. So let's start talking it in a very simple way. Let's not continue guessing. Let's analyze the air, diagnose the solutions, and remove the sources, and then communicate that through a very simple star rating that uh, hopefully small children would understand. And if I, if I, 
Sorry, you've, done yeah. you've done it. And, and also uh, get rid of that aerosol deodorant, uh, those candles and the plastic plants. It's, it's just like right now, just start it. Just, <laughs> just three things. Yes, and, and, and check us out at uh, www.airzones.com. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. That's it for this week. If you liked the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next time on the Live Healthy Podcast.